Welcome to the Plus Minus Podcast. My name is Cam Knight. Alongside me today, a little different than usual, Ryan McCarthy. Ryan, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Cam. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. No Jeff. Jeff couldn't make it. Um, he will definitely be back on the show next week, but I think we're in good hands. Um, Ryan, definitely a huge hockey fan, which I did not know prior to this season of Plus Minus when he started DMing me after almost every episode with his takes. So, And they've seemed valid. Yeah, they they needed to be heard, and they've seemed valid and educated. So, I'm trusting That's the you. highest compliment. Thank you. Yeah, you got to get some compliments out of the way here early before we start arguing later, potentially. Um, but let's jump straight into it with the most important part of the show: the injury and transaction notes. Um, and we do have we do have some notes here this week. Um, so let's get the the normal one out of the way. Justin Schultz still injured. Um, Derek Broussard, last week we were talking about his day-to-day injury. He is still, maybe we can reference that as week-to-week at this point because he still is not even skating, so has not played since we last spoke about him. And I would imagine won't play tomorrow night against Washington. Penguins are playing Washington tomorrow night on Wednesday, which is why we're recording this on a Tuesday, a little different than usual. Um, That's it for injuries right now, but we did have some transactions today. Derek Grant, who has zero points for the Penguins through, I believe, six games so far, he's made the appearance in. He got sent down to Wilkes-Barre, and Zach Aston-Reese and Garrett Wilson got recalled. So um, two guys that at that level have been producing on the season. Garrett Wilson is leading the the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in points. He's got six goals, five assists, so 11 points in 11 games down there. And Aston-Reese has nine points, and he got a hat trick this past weekend, uh, his first hat trick as a professional hockey player. So... Two guys that have been producing down there, and um, definitely a topic we'll get into later, but secondary scoring is something the Penguins have been lacking, so maybe um, a little something to, to change things up and try and uh, revitalize the, the bottom six contributions. Any any quick thoughts on either of these guys coming up or on Derek Grant going down? I think it's something that they're looking to get a spark. You know, like, like you said, Cam, these guys are producing, you know, down in the AHL, so I think it's big for them to kind of pull somebody up and say, hey, look, you know, we need something to change here after this four-game slide because the production just hasn't been there overall. So, you know, anything to change it up and I think just kind of jolt the team back into some production is, is really what they're looking at those uh, two goals call-ups uh, from Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, and like like I said, we'll get into kind of the way everyone's been scoring on this team, but um, I think a little spoiler alert, we could use a little bit more from from guys not named Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel. So uh, let's jump right into the past week. Uh, unlike last week, Jeff's not here to defend himself, but I'm going to say he called a perfect six for six in terms of points for the Penguins this week. He was incorrect. Um, but uh, they, they got it started with a, a matchup with the New York Islanders, which turned out to be a 3-2 shootout loss. So if you remember, that was a home-and-home home with the Islanders. And... Um, the Islanders end up taking both of those, and they take over first place in the Metro from the Penguins. And the Islanders at this point in the season, it's tough to say if they'll hold, uh, like I said, first in the Metro right now. But we mentioned the stat PDO last week, which is basically your shooting percentage plus your save percentage. And if you're over 100 on the season, technically you're you're perceived to be lucky so far in the season. You'll regress back towards 100. They, they're leading the league in this at, at 110 right now, so... Basically, the New York Islanders, when they shoot the puck, they can't miss, and they're getting solid goaltending as well. 
Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of it has to be coming from that high shooting percentage you you were talking about this past uh, episode. I think that's just something that they've been getting some decent opportunities, and just you know, a lot of them are going into the net. And you got to imagine that's going to turn around at some point. Uh, yeah, and to their credit, so far, while the Penguins has been falling back, they've been that shooting percentage we talked about last week starting to fall back towards the realm of of human. Um, the save percentage is falling a little bit as well, even though it wasn't that high to start with. So um, hopefully the Penguins can get it figured out. But yeah, the Islanders just playing phenomenal hockey at this point in the season. I think they're under, at least as of a couple of days ago. So unless they've they've messed up without me realizing it, they're undefeated against Metro opponents, I think six or seven or no. So, um, you know, they're getting these wins out of the way early against divisional opponents. So they, they might be able to hang on to uh, a playoff spot here in the Metro well into the season. Which is definitely a surprise. I think they're kind of a yeah, absolutely. marginal, maybe a team that definitely people were looking to count out of the, the Eastern Conference uh, bubble team. They really didn't. People aren't looking at them to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. After losing Tavares. Usually you lose a guy like John Tavares, like you said, and, and that guy usually makes you a bubble team. So when you lose him, you think, yeah, they're, they're falling way off. But like you said, to their credit, uh, as of right now, they're keeping it rolling. A team that, um, speaking of John Tavares, the Toronto Maple Leafs came into town, and the story with the Leafs this year has been struggling at home, absolutely phenomenal on the road, and they continued that trend. They got shut out by the Penguins in Toronto a few weeks back, and, and this week they come in and return the favor with a 5 nothing shutout. Um, and this is without Austin Matthews. So any big takeaways from this one in your mind or um, kind of just... I thought this one was an unexpected loss. I really thought, you know, after a strong performance against the Maple Leafs, you know, in, in our one more recent games, you know, I, missing Austin Matthews, I really thought this would be a game that the, the Penguins would turn, uh, especially after getting these these two losses against the Islanders. I really thought there would be some kind of turnaround, especially at home. Uh, right. It just kind of looked like they came out flat, and the the Maple Leafs seemed to almost try and make up for the lost production of of Austin Matthews and got some good opportunities. It didn't feel like it was a game that really ran away. But just kind of slowly slipped away from the Penguins over the over the course of the game, and it just wasn't just wasn't there, and it just you know didn't seem to be breaking our way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think with, with kind of all three games this week, I don't have a ton. I know in the past few weeks I've kind of dwelled on some of these recap items, and I think for this week I'm really just kind of you know I don't even feel like delving too deep into a lot of these games of the past week. I think it's more of the large takeaways, which we'll get to after we discuss all three results. Um, because the story kind of is the same as you head into another matchup with the New Jersey Devils. This one, another divisional matchup. Um, the Devils are a team that started really hot this year. And you thought maybe, oh, wow, this, you know, they're building on making the playoffs last year. And some guys other than Taylor Hall are doing doing some of the heavy lifting as well. Um, but they started to fall back to earth. Uh, but they they as well come into Pittsburgh and get get a a good win that kind of was a comfortable one, five one win for them. Brian Boyle gets a hat trick, which is not something you uh, usually draw up when you're planning out a, a game for them. So yeah, um, definitely notable on uh, the hockey fights cancer night. You know Brian Boyle, of course, being yeah uh, recent, recently in remission from his uh, I think he had a form of leukemia that was treatable, which is fantastic news for him and. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to lose 5-1 to the Devils and Brian Boyle gets a hat-trick and it's on an emotional night like that for him, um, you know, obviously I hate to see the Penguins lose, but you understand how the Devils can get behind you know, him, his performance like that and, and really push them over the edge for a dominant win. So, you know, 
Cam, I was I was curious. You know, obviously we had a good Western swing. Uh, do you think there's yeah. some kind of lag coming off of that? You know, coming back east, coming back home. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe some guys banged up. You know, you got Broussard out of the lineup and in, in and out kind of in terms of practice. Do you think there is some kind of you know slack in performance as a result of that? Yeah. So to touch on a couple of things real quick, I don't think Broussard out of the lineup is a huge factor. I think. Um, you know, I think he has maybe four or five points on the season with three of those coming in the nine to one Calgary win. Um, his only goal of the season coming in the opener. I don't think he's done anything too crazy. Um, I don't think, I think he's looked best when he's on Sid's wing. And I think there's other people like Dominic Simone that have looked equally good there. Um, I kind of expected the exact opposite. And I think a lot of people probably did where before the first road trip we talked about, is this something that can bring the team together? You know, they go 4-0 and on it, beating Toronto, who was the talk of the NHL at that point in the season and still kind of always will be for the rest of the season probably. But And then you go out to Western Canada and get all three wins there, and it looks like Murray's on, you know, back to being the Matt Murray you want him to be, and, and Casey DeSmith gets a shutout out there, and you think everything's clicking coming back. Um, and Jeff called it with the, the maybe you return to Pittsburgh and and – blow one against the Islanders, but I didn't see that coming. Once it did happen, I attributed it to maybe it was a little too emotional of a night in Pittsburgh. Um, yep, I would agree with you there. I, I don't know what to attribute that one to, but um, I definitely thought then, you know, you face the New York Islanders a second time, and that one, it felt like the Penguins were the better team to me watching it, and they lose it in the shootout, and it was like, ah, you know, that one got away, but all right. And then the last two, it kind of puts you back at a loss for words. And clearly it puts Mike Sullivan in a similar situation. I'm not sure what to do because you see the roster moves and you see specifically in the third period of this Devils game, a lot of changes to the lines. Um, and before before even the third period, at the beginning of this Devils game, you see um, a split up of Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin going into the game, try and see if maybe we can create two strong pairings instead of one. So we'll get into all those lineup changes, but... At this point, Mike Sullivan's basically blown up the entire lineup. We haven't seen a practice with um, Aston Reese and Garrett Wilson yet, but we can assume where they'll kind of slot in. But to kind of get back to your question, I did not see this coming at all. I thought the complete opposite would occur. Even after the Islanders lost at home, I thought maybe it was just a slip up and they'd get right back on track like they have with the other losses so far this season. Um, and they're still not the end of the world. I think they're still second in the Metro, even with the slip up. But yep, yeah, I really did not see this coming. I, I mean, I, I feel like when you go on a road trip and and you have a, an extended period of time, there is definitely that aspect to that. that Cam and you, you and uh, Jeff or Orte were kind of talking about saying, "Hey, you know, this is going to bring the team together." These road trips are often talked about as you know a bonding experience. And, I don't think there was necessarily, you know, like a lack of team chemistry going into the road trip to really fix anything. I do feel like they almost had a, you know, a, such a star-studded uh, performance out there with their, you know, large margin wins over, you know, Canucks, um, you know, a, a fantastic finish with you know, Crosby against the Oilers, and then of course, you know, their demolish against the Flames. You know, when you come off of that and and you face some teams that maybe as are, you know, sometimes called trap games, you know, like against the Islanders. You don't necessarily look at the Islanders and, and you know, think preparation. So when you come off of that, you know sometimes that can happen. I definitely didn't see you know two two losses to the Islanders, even though one of them, you know, granted being a shootout loss, but yeah, I didn't think they were going to go and then slide even further against you know a, 
a fairly decent, you know, Devils team as well as, you know, taking a loss against, you know, obviously a, a much talked about Leafs, but, you know, it, it can happen. I, I don't see that, uh, you know, harming them necessarily in the long run here. You know, it's obviously still early. Yeah, so let's um, let's get into some of these big picture items, like I said, that I think is kind of a takeaway from the whole week rather than focusing in on each of the, the games this past week. The big one, first off, is secondary scoring from the forward group. I think it's obvious. Let's let's throw Crosby, Mock, and Kessel out of this because they have been producing this year, and, and you would expect them to. And early in the season, there were some questions. You know, Sid didn't have a goal for a little while there, but the Stars got clicking. And the Stars getting clicking was leading to wins. So it really wasn't a question of secondary scoring. Um, and then you started to see some guys seem to jump on. You know, Patrick Hornquist is one that he was struggling a little bit there to start as well. He had a couple multi-point games in a row. And now, you know, he's right at that like 25-goal pace, which is exactly where you expect Patrick Hornquist to be for a season. Um, and then Jake Gensel as well has been doing very well in that pairing with Sid as he always is. He has five goals on the season and, um, I think no one would be upset with what Jake Gensel's done so far this year. Um, one other guy to give credit to before I get into the rest of the group, Dominic Simone, three goals, five assists, um, has kind of been playing with, with Sid as of late and doing well. As I've said about Simone in the past, I think he's not a guy I think can do a lot on his own to create a scoring chance, but, he can play that fast, quick, um, like quick decision type of game that a lot of people have had success playing on Sid's wing um, doing. So I think he'll rack up his fair share of points just playing with Sidney Crosby at that speed. Um, but then when you get past that into the rest of this group, everyone else has one goal or zero goal. So you get into Derek Broussard, um, and he has had the injury, but only one goal in I think eight games maybe. You know, Brian Rust, one goal. Matt Cullen, one goal. Carl Haglin. Has done a lot in the defensive zone, but only the one goal. Um, same with Riley Shane. So you're talking about these bottom six guys. And it's not that you spe- expect any specific one of these guys to be have three, four goals this point in the season, but someone has to amongst this group. And then you even had Daniel Sprong and Derek Grant with no goals. Grant with no points at all. Um, but we can leave him out of this discussion now because clearly um, – They've decided for now that for that, and they sent him down to Wilkes-Barre. So, you know, when I originally was was drafting up this conversation, I was thinking, is it almost time that we see Zach Aston Reese? Um, clearly, that may be the case because it looks like it looks like that is true after his hat trick on the weekend. Any thoughts on on this kind of general concept of secondary scoring from the forwards? And any one of these guys you're surprised isn't hasn't gotten going yet? Yeah, I'd say I think. When you look at the Penguins, you know, forward lines, and I feel like one of the definite attributes that the Penguins have over a lot of teams is that depth throughout the, you know, bottom six. You know, they they have good guys that are experienced. They have guys that have performed in the past. They have guys like, like Rust, you know, that can be moved up to, you know, maybe a top six line, people who have played off Sid's wing. And obviously, you know, maybe you could say, hey, they've had past production by, you know, being paired in, in higher productive lines with star players. But at the same time, you really do expect something from these guys. And when you, when you're looking at, you know, the likes of Colin or, or, or Sheehan and, and Hornquist, you know, I think that's definitely a, a good line that obviously like, like you guys were talking about Sullivan seems to be keeping around and, and keeping together, you know, even though he is seeming to, to try and shake up the lines and, and see what comes of it, you know, to try and get a, a turnaround. But it just seems like, 
either it's a matter of maybe not a lot of chemistry or just not clicking on the bottom lines. And, and there seems to be this uh, early turnover, you know, we're, we're seeing Sullivan look to shake them up a lot. Um, maybe yeah. the chemistry just isn't quite there, you know, on the ice um, until things kind of get locked in a little more settled. Yeah. So I think this might be a good time. We, we might make sense to split this conversation between forwards and defensemen rather than jumping all into the whole new lineup later on all at once. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of these guys haven't gotten going. And, and when you think about the guys with one goal or no goals, that's pretty much your whole bottom six. So it has been the stars needing to carry the ship in terms of production. Um, so this morning, a very different look, and we'll just run through it real quick. You had Simone, Crosby, Rust, Haglin, Malkin, Hornquist, uh, Gensel, Shea, and Kessel, and Cullen, Grant, Sprung. So a couple things to, to get out right away there. You split up the Crosby-Gensel pairing that is kind of a staple at this point. For the first time all season, we see Haglin, Malkin, Kessel. And, and obviously this hasn't happened in a game yet, so not necessarily, but we're going to assume this is riding into tomorrow. Um, Haglin, Malkin, Kessel split up for the first time, putting Hornquist on that wing. And I think what we've seen is Hornquist kind of succeeds anywhere he goes in the lineup. So I don't necessarily expect that line to produce less, but um, clearly trying to find maybe some more um, consistency throughout the depth of the lineup. Gensel, Shea, and Kessel's an interesting third line for me. I don't know Gensel and Kessel um, together. I really don't know what that what that would feel like. I'm not sure if we've seen that a, a whole lot of that ever. Um, and then Cullen Grant and Sprung on the bottom, we're obviously going to see not Grant there, probably an Aston Reese with maybe like a, I would assume if there's someone that's still going to be a healthy scratch in this lineup, it's Garrett Wilson, but maybe not. Maybe Garrett Wilson comes in for like, sprung to send a message or something like that any any quick thoughts on um anything i just rattled off there yeah i, I really like that uh bottom line especially you know you're talking about uh bringing in someone like aston reese you know i think with his you know recent production that that could be interesting uh, i think what is interesting you know like you said is hornquist seems to be able to produce you know almost no matter where he is you know he, he yeah. does what he can with the time that he has on the ice i think it you know, the role that he sort of plays is, you know, gets into those tough areas, plays not necessarily an agitator role, but, you know, he, he definitely has a knack for irritating goaltenders, you know, being, you know, good in front of the net has that, has that presence. And I think yeah. he being up on, you know, a higher line and getting more ice time, I think is definitely maybe a matchup play against the Capitals, um, especially considering, you know, you, you definitely have some strong goaltenders in the Capitals as well as, they don't really have that uh, other agitator or, you know, physical uh, enforcer presence with Tom Wilson still being suspended. So I think that's maybe a strong matchup play for Sullivan. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about that line. Plays out. It's interesting to think about that line with, with Haglin and how much of a bulldog he is in the defensive zone. And then the way you kind of just described Hornquist. And I think a lot of that does lend itself towards the, towards the attacking end for him. And then you kind of just got Gino doing <laughs> – all the things Gino wants to do in between them. So that it could be a, a very interesting group that um, we'll see how that plays out. I think it'll be exciting to watch. It'll, I think it'll be exciting to watch how that plays out, especially against the Capitals. I mean, obviously we already played them once this year, very early in the season and got a seven, six uh, high scoring win, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think obviously when you're up against the Capitals, you know, they're going to produce. So, um, it's a matter of trying to get in there and maybe throw some lines that might yeah. match up interestingly against the Capitals and maybe throw them off their their kind of offensive groove. 
Yeah, and I think when we talk about um, Hornquist, I kind of in the past have felt the same way about Brian Rust of you can really throw him in anywhere, and he's not even specific to one side. You can kind of throw him on any wing, and it seems to work, but um, this season that hasn't fully been the case. I don't think he's done anything obviously wrong. It's just clearly he hasn't really gotten going yet. Kind of the same story with with Cullen, how you kind of expect Cullen to just get his share of points down there on the bottom six. He hasn't been able to do that yet either. So I don't know. I think I feel weirdly good about Aston Reese and Sprong together. I feel like maybe there's a comfort level there with some Wilkes-Barre guy. Like, heck, throw me out there like a fourth line of like Wilson, Aston Reese, Sprong, and just see if we get the Wilkes-Barre guys together. Just Sprong like fire back into his AHL form. I mean, like we were talking about that, that bottom six chemistry isn't really there. So maybe that's another, you know, similar thought process for Sullivan saying, hey, these guys have that, you know, experience together, that that sort of intangible, hey, I know where you're going to be aspect. So, you know, maybe hopefully we see that click for them and and get back into that Wilkes-Barre form, like you mentioned. So if this, let's assume these lines work. Where would you see Derek Broussard slotting back into this when he comes back? Would you have him on Sid's wing and maybe a Rust or a Simone move down? Or do you think he just slots right in where Shayan is? Shayan drops down one and Aston Reese is right back off the off the lineup or move to a wing. I think I really want to say Broussard goes in as like your third line center, but I think that is going to really be something that they're going to struggle to do. I think he's going to end up on Sid's wing, uh, yeah. which I don't think is a bad play because I think maybe uh, with Sid's you know, obvious level of play, I, I think that might be what Broussard needs to maybe get him going, get him a little acclimated. Obviously, he's still, you know, despite having a strong reputation in the league and obviously brought him in for a reason for that, that center depth, um, yeah. or at least that seems to be the consensus. I think, you know, he still does need to be, you know, brought into the system and, and playing off Sid's wing, who who really is the system, you know. Um, I thought that was funny about uh, Johnson's quote the other night saying, you know, Sid called a play at the faceoff and had no idea what he was talking about. So, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that Johnson was, you know, maybe as prepared or underprepared as maybe yeah, Broussard is, sure but they might feel the same one. way. I think it's just a matter of these guys are new. I mean, it is still, you know, early in the season, and, you know, maybe they're not prepared or, or anything, and, and that might just be part of it, of putting Broussard on Sid's wing and really getting him, you know, a lot of ice time and then maybe moving him down to third line center once he can kind of run it like, you know, we want it to in, in yeah. the Sid Thought ways. Yeah. That, yeah that's I, my thought around to where he works in. I almost feel like the way this seems to work, and I could be wrong here, but I feel like we're going to go into a lot of games with Derek Broussard in the lineup as your third line center and that audible to a shortened bottom six where he works in with Sid and Gensel, assuming that reunites. I feel like that's going to happen a lot throughout the season where the lineup gets shortened and Broussard becomes a winger, even though he starts yeah. the game as your 3C. I just, I could see no after that happen once, I, I picture that happening a lot more throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like there's no lock. There's no mortal lock. And, and there really hasn't been. I mean, that you usually find it's okay, you got Sid and someone on the wing that you pretty much see we get, you know, night in, night out. And then whoever's on that other wing, you know, really is almost like a rotating supporting cast of, of who is clicking with Sid and that, that line at the time. 
And then once that kind of starts to go away, you see, you know, whoever's in the coach, you know, not necessarily just Sullivan, but they kind of, you know, put someone else in there because really, you know, Sid seems to be able to elevate the play of some of these guys. You just got to be able to stay with them. Um, yeah. It, it's something that I, I feel like has been a historical trend for the Penguins. I don't see that changing. Yeah, I agree. So let's shift real quick to the blue line. Um, I don't want to turn this into, I mean, I guess, I guess we have because they did such drastic things in practice this week. Um, because I don't want to turn this into just a lineup debate every single week, but they, they kind of have thrown us into this one with what they've decided to do today, um, in the past couple games. So they've, for the Devils game, and it looks like, I thought it might have been a short experiment after one game, but they ran it again today in practice, splitting up Dumlin and Latang. Um, so now Chris Latang skating on a first pair with Jack Johnson, Brian Dumlin skating with Yusso Ricola. Um, and then Mata and Alexiak as a third pair, where Alexiak's been a really pleasant surprise so far this season. Looks like he's yeah. continuing to trend in the right direction. Um, not just because of this, but also he's been weirdly productive from an offensive standpoint, which is not what you expect from him, really. So um, any thoughts on splitting up Latang and Dumoulin? I personally think you don't mess with that that pairing, and it's just a legitimate yeah. shutdown first pairing, and you have to figure out the rest. And obviously, Justin Schultz being injured throws a lot of a wrench into this, but um, I really hope this is a short-lived one. And there's a I chance think this might just be an experiment yeah. from a perspective of saying, "Hey, you know, obviously we've we've had a lot of goals against, you know, not saying that's just like any any fault of you know any of the pairings specifically, but you know maybe you think that they're just trying to spread the wealth here um, in terms of saying, "Hey, let's let's maybe even out the pairings and instead of having that." that top line pairing of doom and Lin and tang and, and, and letting the rest, you know, the chips fall where they may for the other pairings, you know, yeah. I, I don't think the depth at blue line is necessarily a problem for the penguins. Obviously losing Schultz is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, that definitely hurts, but at the same time, uh, maybe it's just a way to spread the wealth and maybe try and get through a game or two here. Um, and then see where, see when the production picks back up again to get that doom and Latang pairing. Because uh, I think that is really crucial to their, uh, yeah. I think as well. I think I'm more inclined to you have the Dumoulin Latang pairing. You throw them out there for 20 plus minutes a night, and then you factor in, you know, penalty kill and and power play time, and you've kind of gotten the situations you want for most of the game, and then you kind of got to survive the rest. Um, so that's kind of my my opinion on that. The one final thing lineup related before we get into the upcoming week and a few other items. Today, they also switched up the power plays quite a bit. And this one, I think, you know, Sullivan kind of said after practice, listen, even if something seems to be the best option, he basically said, I still think the first power play unit we've been using is the absolute best case scenario for us. But when things are stagnant, you kind of need to switch things up just to see what works and remind yourself of why the other thing worked. So... Today's power play units were really different. It was the first unit was Kessel, Malk, and Hornquist, which sounds normal, but then Rust and Mata rounding it out. So no Sid. Wow. No Latang. Uh, and then the second unit was Sid, Latang, Gensel, Simone, and Johnson. So, I mean, I don't know. Once again, I guess you assume that they might run with that in the next game, but absolutely a full on lineup, um, overhaul going into this week as yeah, they travel. Who's quarter, who would be quarterbacking that from the point for that, that first power play lineup? I, mean, I don't necessarily look at uh, I mean, you know, it's, 
I don't necessarily look at any of those guys thinking they're they're really feeding you know into the wings for those high opportunities. Yeah, I, I mean, think I, I think you're picturing Olimata kind of up top yeah, and on, that. on the left. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to. Here. I, I don't want to picture it. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, say that is you're, you're right. right. Point with Kessel hovering where he usually does, Hornquist where he usually is, um, and yeah, I'd, Brian Rust and Malkin are playing off each other the way Malk, assuming you keep the same system in place. Yeah. I don't really, think they change that, that up, obviously. Weirder. Yeah. Brian, Brian Russ, you can do what Sid does out here, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that's what a lot of people have said, you know, is that Brian Russ is essentially just, you know, just be Sidney Crosby and waiting. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, I think he's given it. them out of confidence from the coach. I, I really like to see that for him. No, I mean, I, in all seriousness, I uh, it's I think good it's like good and bribe a guy. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I think they're just trying to give you know a shot in the arm and, and see you know maybe breaking some things to fix them almost. Um, yeah. And, and almost put them back together where they were just to say, hey, look, like you know, we we tried something different, you know, just to just to shake it up and, and we're just so that when Malkin is trying to like work on that right wall with someone and he gets Sid back, he's gonna be like, man, this is nice. I think that might have that might have a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, I can't imagine that uh, Gina's not going to feel the drop off from to, to to Brian Rust, but you know, yeah. it, it'll be curious if that translates into you know actual actual game time play. Um, I'll be curious. The one last piece on this is I'm surprised, considering he was the de facto PP one replacement when Latang went down, that Yusuf Rikula is not involved in this formula at all. I could almost see Ricola in where Mate is on the first unit and then be a lot more okay with it. But I'd feel know. a lot more comfortable with that as well. Um, he just always seems to have his head up in the offensive zone. He seems to be very comfortable out there. Um, okay, let's jump into the previews for this week. But first, I want to talk real quickly about, did you see the Ottawa Uber video? I have heard rubble about heard this, about I didn't watch it. Yeah, all I know is the premise is essentially the Senators were were just essentially trashing their coach and uh it ended up on recording and now it's being circulated that's that's the extent that i got of it yeah i mean that's basically what it is i think it was five or six guys in a van in an uber everyone's been an uber at this point knows what i'm talking about and you're talking about whatever and this guy had a dash cam and they were really just complaining mostly about their penalty kill and um special teams in general and it was just it was interesting because at first watched it it was like five minutes, five, six minutes. I watched it and they're not saying anything crazy. Like there's not some big bomb in there, but like it is like, oh my God, they're like really like talking shit on their coaching staff. And it's like that I saw, you know, a lot of dialogue about around it and it kind of framed it better for me of thinking about like, think about any time you've hung out with like five coworkers outside of work. Like you're definitely venting about your bosses. Like, a hundred percent. I think that's a safe I, assumption. Yeah. These guys just got super. These guys just got super unlucky. I mean, it does teach them and all other players a, a little bit of a lesson, and it's unfortunate for them. But like, they just got super unlucky that this guy that's definitely going to get fired, or at least some something's going to happen to this guy. Like, release this video that's clearly a private conversation. But yeah, it was weird. Is- God, uh, I was going to say, do you think this is 
do you think this happens in an American market? You know, obviously Ottawa being Canadian team, you know, it's often talked about. Obviously Toronto is sort of that peak uh, media frenzy when it comes to the National Hockey League. But, you know, Ottawa is still, uh, you know, a large, uh, you know, large presence. You know, they're not necessarily the biggest market in Canada, you know, in terms of hockey teams. But I, I can't imagine this is happening, you know, uh, the five Arizona Coyotes players get in a in a Uber. I don't think this is either being talked about, recorded at all. I doubt they even recognize that they're hockey players. Um, yeah. But in, but in Ottawa, you know, Toronto, I feel like these are where these kind of things happen um, because there's just this hyper focus on the sport that's not necessarily as existing in, in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're definitely right about that. It definitely blows up more when it's a Canadian team, and the Canadian media are going to cover it way closer. Um, but I really do think it just comes back to like, these guys just got really unlucky of being somewhat public figures where yeah, they're just venting about work. They're just frustrated. Um, I mean, they've had a decent, decent season so far. I mean, really a lot of people were looking at the centers and thinking after losing Carlson. Um, yeah, the one thing I'll say is I'm not sure how old this video is and it's definitely recent history, but I don't know like how long they were sitting on this. Interesting. Okay. That's something I'm I not know, sure. But I thought this was a very recent aspect. Okay, that that would make more sense. I feel like I, I don't feel like there's really been a lot for the Sens to to really hang their head too much about because people were looking at them as kind of like the the team that's yeah. going to get you know kicked it, kicked in the stomach night in night out when you know right. teams come to play. You know it, they weren't really looking at that. Obviously losing Brady Brady Chuck is a is a bad thing for them. Yeah, he was I, off. It really hasn't really fallen off. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they have had some decent production. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. This is some. Maybe off-season video, video out of training camp, or maybe even last season. It's really rough for them too because, and I think we mentioned it on here before, but like when you're trying to rebuild, it's really tough when you don't have a first-round pick. So like, you even losing doesn't feel productive to the fan base. Like a team like the Red Wings can be awful this year, but it's like, hey, we might get Jack Hughes. Like the Ottawa Senators yeah. have no reason to be happy about anything. Um, yeah, they're really in that middling stage where it's going to be a few tough years where they're grinding it out. And yeah, but you know, they have hoping the for some surprise wins. Yeah, you have Thomas Shabbat, who is as close to an Eric Carlson replacement as they could have hoped at this point. Um, the guys they got in that Carlson trade um, have all been playing pretty well for them, actually. And like you said, you got Brady Kachuk. You have some. You have some guys. Maxime. Also that. Uh, yeah. Lejoie, Lejoie, I think. I was about to say, yeah, Maxime Lejoie yeah. um, has played um, pretty well for them this year. So they have the bright young spots. I mean, they're still going to have a bad year, but um, you saw some other Canadian young Canadian teams, Montreal and Vancouver, two teams that the Penguins were really frustrated to lose to, looking like potential playoff teams this year. We'll see um, with some young guys of their own. So Ottawa, I think, is going to fall off and be a bottom five team for sure. But um, I agree with that, but not but a bad yeah. start for for a team that looked at people were looking at as saying more like a Kings start. That you know, that yeah, and I think they were smart. Like Foreman had got off to a decent start. They sent him back to juniors after his nine games. It's like we're not going to burn a year of this guy. Like it's not going to do anything for us. So they got a little sneak peek, and I think, I mean, they're they're going to do all they can. But like I said, this year is going to be rough with with no draft pick. Um, but let's get into the Pittsburgh Penguins and their week coming up, looking for some redemption and this uh, poor performance streak. Um, and it starts tomorrow. Washington 
Um, Washington Capitals, uh, like we said, they Penguins started the season with them, and Washington's now at six four and three on the season. And a lot of the names you would expect to are going off for them so far this year. Kuznetsov with eighteen points. Ovi's got eleven goals already. Um, you know, John Carlson's got sixteen points on the blue line. Nick Backstrom's playing really well. Um, they got Travis Boyd back last game or the game before, and I think he got two assists in his first game, so they're glad to have that depth back. Um, as you mentioned, Tom Wilson's still out, and I think Brooks Orpik's day to day right now, so not sure if we'll see uh a name familiar with Penguins fans, but um, you really hope you can go into Washington. I don't think this is a game the Penguins would ever overlook, regardless of their situation. I think anytime it's the Capitals and it's Ovechkin and Kuznetsov for these guys, they get up for it. Um, but we really hope that, uh, you know, get some secondary scoring and then maybe the Stars can, can do their part as well. So I had a, I, being a, as, as it's, not necessarily been said, but I uh, actually live in the D.C. area. and I, I Yeah, I guess I forgot to mention that part. That's kind of why we scheduled you well in advance for this. Uh... We're talking Penguins hockey. You know, my, my parents being from the Pittsburgh area, there's never been really like a decision point where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to root for the Penguins. It's just been birth. Many, you know, uh, expats from the Pittsburgh area, you know, that's just that's just what you, you're raised into. But obviously, you know, having a close eye, uh, obviously – Seeing a lot of Washington market games, you know, I, I think I've had a good, pretty good pulse on on what the Capitals have looked like. But I also did a little bit of extra digging. Uh, I mean, like like you mentioned, there's not really too many surprises from a, a performance basis out of the Capitals. You know, uh, a lot of the same uh, in years past. You know, obviously a lot of the guys that are younger on the team that they're looking to have been trending up. Um, they've seen not too dissimilar of a story. Uh, I would say it's a little more expected out of the Capitals to have that heavy you know, top six performance uh, from point perspective, yeah. not necessarily looking to their third and fourth lines. Um, they did have some losses there. I mean, Jay Beagle uh, left for greener pastures in Vancouver, um, you know, a strong penalty killer and, and sort of a, a spark plug guy on their bottom six. Um, right. it, it's definitely been interesting to see their performance so far. Um, obviously their power play leads the NHL right now. I think they're at like a 36% clip, which is, uh, strong even for them, but you know that's that's really where they get those uh, pretty crucial goals, uh, especially out of that top power line power play unit. You know, Carlson, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom. That's really where a lot of the meat and potatoes comes from for for the Capitals. Yeah, I think another guy I didn't mention, TJ Oshie, but um, I think he's gotten off yeah. to a really hot start. But yeah, this is going to be between the however many times you've seen these guys in the regular season and however many times you've seen them in playoff series, it's going to be all the names you think of involved in this one on both sides of, of this one. Um, probably going to see Braden Holtby. Um, hopefully Matt Murray. This this week, I think one of the big things for me is I really hope Matt Murray can start to, to dig his way out of a save percentage that starts with an eight. Um, I do think yeah, Matt Murray is very good. I'm not, I shouldn't say not worried about it, but I'm not, I'm not in any way in the camp of like giving up on Matt Murray or, or like, I don't even know what to say about it. I'm, I'm all in on Murray and he'll get it figured out, but, um, would really I like to see it. Start start. Yeah. I, I'd really not like, I'd really like to avoid leaning on Smith. I think he's had some, some performances and some good spots, obviously, you know, with Murray out for a little bit. And then also just, you know, in as a, almost like a reliever, uh, type role in some of those back to back games early in the season. You know, all yeah. the coaches look to look to 
maybe save their goalies for the stretch and, and let them get rest early on. Um, I, I don't think DeSmith has been bad. I don't necessarily want to be looking to people like DeSmith in marquee matchups like this against you know Eastern Conference opponents. Um, I, I would like to see Murray turn around. Um, something that I thought was interesting when I was you know just looking over like some team stats and, and comparing. Um, I was curious to get your thoughts around this, Cam. Is you know obviously like we like it's been known you know it's not this is no surprise the Capitals are good on the power play. Um, they convert a lot of their opportunities, but I think uh, something that's worth noting is that currently right now the Penguins have the lowest uh, total penalty minutes as a team in the NHL. You know, yeah, I'd say we're a fairly fairly disciplined squad. Um, I think that still goes actually. For... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but they're also still physical. I mean, the Penguins are also leading in hits per game. Um, so it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. You know, they're, they're staying, you know, fairly physical uh, without committing a ton of penalties, uh, which I think will be really huge. You know, obviously not giving the Capitals that that opportunity to score and, and get that top line out there against you uh, where you really got to guard and, and push out on a lot of guys that, that open space for someone else. That's always, always a threat, whether it's Carlson, uh, Kuznetsov, Oshi, or, or Ovechkin. Um, I'd be curious to see if you if you think that'll continue, um, and it's more of a five on five game, or if maybe that'll uh, will will revert to the mean and maybe not be as disciplined. No, I think that's a good point. I think I'm a guy who, after almost every day of NHL action, is is going back into all the advanced metrics and seeing who's doing what across the league and. The Penguins, and it started off with they had been playing less games, but I think it's been such an aggressive trend that it's not just related to games played. Penalties taken and penalties drawn, they've been bottom of the league in a good, in a sense of a lot of five on five play. Um, it's an interesting thing. I, I think it might continue. And I think, um, it's really interesting to look at the Penguins in general from a, um, special teams perspective. I think on the power play, it's been interesting to see this year they're not getting a lot of shots off. Um, and the shot rate has been down. And it, it seems like, um, I don't know what that's a result of, but it is interesting to see that they're not shooting as much. I don't know if that's... Crystal Tang seems like he's been shooting more this year. I think that's kind of been agreed upon by most. So I don't think it's driven by him, but um, maybe looking for that perfect play. And, and maybe... On some of these power plays, maybe they're scoring so quick that uh, the shot rate's down because it's only taken one or two. I don't know, but... Um, Fairly efficient, right. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know how that would factor into the numbers I'm looking at, actually, now that I think about it. But I do... I don't know the reasoning around it, but I do feel like this trend's been so strong early on in this year. For some reason, Pittsburgh Penguins games just aren't including a lot of the special teams play for either team. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, they're they're dead even. They're a zero. They're at a zero differential. Eighty nine minutes uh, for and eighty nine minutes against. Um, okay. So clearly, it's not necessarily pushing either way. Um, I mean, I'm not. I, I obviously, you know, you want to have that differential be positive, but there's not really much you can do about that um, to control it, other than playing against teams that are maybe more disciplined uh, or less disciplined. I feel like maybe it's a, a factor of the game. I mean, obviously, there are teams out there that have higher penalty minutes, but you know, with the pace. Um, that we're seeing in, in today's NHL, I think it's almost hard to to get these guys. You know, where you're in a situation where you, it's almost going to be so blatant that you're 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 the physical play with a slash or or you know getting yeah. someone on a tripping penalty. It's just because they've already blown by you. Um, 
you know, it would just be almost blatant and, and you're getting into yeah, they're willing to play a very open game. They're willing to play a very open, kind of that fast paced game that they instilled to win the back to back cups. A lot of the teams they've faced early in the season have adopted and some of them have even beaten the Penguins by outdoing them at that same strategy almost. The Canucks have played really fast in the games uh, against the Penguins. Same with the Montreal Canadiens. Same with Toronto. So it, there's six games right there where the teams are just playing super fast both ways. I think that is a good point where it's hard to take a penalty when everyone's just flying around each other. If you're going to take one, it's going to be pretty clear. There's not a lot of guys stuck in mud with each other getting really tied up where things can start to happen. Um, a lot of interference and holding type calls, you're not going to get those. It's going to be obvious stick infractions with the way this this team plays um, in a lot of situations and a lot of the teams they've faced here early on. That's actually a, a really good point that I hadn't thought about. Um, let's jump into the rest of the week. Uh, a team we don't get to see often, but we will see on Saturday – uh, the Arizona Coyotes, this is kind of a reverse scenario to the Devils that I talked about earlier. The Arizona Coyotes started off abysmal, and it was because I don't remember the exact number of games, but they were maybe two weeks into the season before they got a goal at 5-on-5. Five five. It was absurd. Yeah. They were just like, I think Antti Ranta's a good goalie. They got off to a horrific start. They're now back above 500. They're 7-6. and six. I think they're they're a team that a lot of the hockey media I follow was picking as like, uh, it was like the, I'm th- I can't think of the right word here. It was kind of like the trendy pick for playoff team that, that didn't make the playoffs last year. So I think they do have some good players. I think obviously you immediately think of Oliver Ekman Larson on the blue line, but Clayton Keller had a really strong year last year and he is, um, off to a good start this year again, leading them in points with five goals and five assists. Uh, and then they bring in I mean, Galchenyuk. They they have some good and they have some guys on that blue line that you've heard of from from stints with other teams. Um, I think they're I think they could be in that wild card team range this season. I think they fall into that category of like a uh, maybe like a Hurricanes team. Obviously, the Hurricanes have had a much better start and I think have been much more consistent. But that sort of similar, hey, you know, we're not really sure. You know, these guys aren't necessarily in the past couple of years your historical performers or playoff contenders that you can count on. But, hey, maybe look out. You know, they got some young squads. Uh, they brought in some good key veterans to maybe shore up and give some experience in the locker room. Um, you know, kind of lend that to some of the younger guys. I mean, uh, the Coyotes brought in uh, Derek Stepan, um, which I think is a good yeah. addition. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of guys on this team you've heard of from stints with other teams. You got Chalmerson, um, you got Demers on the blue line. There's a few. I think they've cobbled together a team that, like you said, was that, and I agree. That's sort of the the uh, hockey fanatic trendy pick of, hey, look out for the the Coyotes this season. They're they're going to surprise you, especially considering you, you don't really look to them as that. Hey, you know, in a pretty competitive Western Conference of someone you're looking to get into the uh, the playoff picture. I think it helps them that there is no clear winner in the Pacific. I mean, we saw Vegas win it last year. Everyone thought San Jose, but that blue line hasn't met as cleanly as you would have liked to start. They're absolutely dominating games from a shot perspective and high-paced game, but it's not 100% panning out as expected. You're seeing Vancouver and Calgary at the top of that division. So I think Arizona... 
you know, once they have a little longer for the sample size to smooth out that horrific five on five start to the season, I think they could could easily be in, in a playoff spot in this division. Um it's a lot more wide open than maybe a lot we're predicting in the beginning of this year. Um, yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people, it was kind of like San Jose, Nashville, Winnipeg, and the Central, and there's your West. Yeah, and, and that was it. You know, and, and it hasn't necessarily looked that way aside from maybe Nashville. Uh, Winnipeg obviously having a you know, pretty good pretty good start to the year, but Nashville's really been the only clear-cut uh, you know, dominant team out West of or I think it's been fairly up and down for a lot of these guys. You know, some string together wins here, some you know, inconsistent losses where you know, you're kind of looking at them, looking, hey, these guys were hot. You know what's happening? Um, I think that's been fairly consistent across a lot of these Western Conference teams. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's jump one more game, um, and it is a team we've already discussed a little bit. Do we see back-to-back hat tricks for Brian Boyle? Just give it to me straight. I'm gonna go with no. Uh, you're going I with just, no. Bold take. I, I, I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna game plan to really shut them down. You know, uh, I think that's just natural. You know, you, you see a guy come out come out against you, get three goals. Um, you're really gonna focus down on Brian Boyle because I mean, really, who else is there on the Devils? The one deflection um, was so nasty. I didn't talk about it earlier. I know it's not like he chose exactly where it would go. He's doing his job. He's in front, got his stick on the puck, and it ends up top shelf far side but like the one deflection was so nasty it was like it I was exact it was a dream deflection he's been a great i mean he's a, he was a good guy to get uh to sign for the devils i mean that you and jeff were talking about the devils and, and and i i would disagree a little bit i think they're a little deeper than maybe people give them credit for obviously you know he and hall um you know great great pairing there in the top line um obviously palmieri's had a good uh start in terms of production probably harder than a lot of people expected. Um, I, I don't think they're necessarily deep, but maybe they have a little more talent outside of their, their first line. Yeah, and I think it'll help them a lot when Jesper Bratt comes back. I know it's only going to be his second year, but um, I thought he was good last year. He kind of struggled with the full season, but I really wanted to see what he would do in year two. I'd heard actually some good things about him in the off season of him like packing on a bunch of muscle and then he hurt his jaw or whatever. And I don't think he's played a regular season game yet. So um, I think he could be, you know, a good addition to them whenever they get him back, almost like a deadline pickup, even though uh, he's a guy already on your roster, kind of like the Derek Broussard is for the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. You know, whenever you get him back, it feels like a free pickup, even though he's a guy you expect to see in there every night. Yeah, I think they come back and have a good, uh, I don't want to call it necessarily a revenge game, but I think um, they'll definitely have some good performances out of these you know, next three games, and I think that will definitely be one of the ones where I'm looking for probably a win. Yeah. Um, do you want to uh, go out on a limb here and, and take Jeff's spot with some projections? Uh, I definitely don't want to say taking Jeff's spot. I... I I think it's a tough position to be I put think Jeff in. lost uh, his spot. He got he was off by five points out of a total of six potential. I think he lost his spot for one week. I think I'll say this. So I'll I'll do it with very little analysis and thought, and just go with my gut. I think they get like a it. strong win against uh, the Capitals tomorrow. Um, okay. Going into Capital One Arena, I think they turn it around. Um, maybe a surprise loss, maybe an overtime loss to the Yotes, um, just because. Oof. 
you know, that one will hurt. they come off, uh, they're hot though. I mean, they've, they have won five in a row. Um, yeah. and then I think a win against the devils. Um, so I'd say, you know, you come out of that with yeah, definitely, definitely a, a trend going in the opposite direction of what we've seen. Um, I just think that's to be expected, um, yeah. just from a statistical point of view, like saying, Hey, you know, we've had this four game slide. I don't think that continues on, um, uh, you know, maybe some of those get mixed around, but I'd say, you know, two out of three, um, should be the standard. Uh, I don't think they get three out of three. Okay. I agree with that. I think I have a similar answer to you, but I have a little bit di- different of a theory behind it. I think they do lose in Washington. I think I'm so weirded out by the amount of lineup. I don't know where yeah. anyone will be playing tomorrow, and I'm a little weirded out by it. I think they do lose in Washington. And I think that the Arizona win is like, I think they're going to beat Arizona, but I think it's going to be a super scrappy win. Like, we should be head and shoulders above these guys, and we like scrapped out a win. And then I, th- I'll give them a clean win against the Devils. I think they go in and and handle business there. But I think it's a scrappy, it's a scrappy two and one for me. So similar outcome, just different games. I, and I, I I definitely could see that too. Um, I, I not necessarily the Capitals away as a game you really look to say, hey, yeah, that's where we can really turn this around. Um, you know, because obviously the Capitals are a good team, the defending Cup champions. Um. But uh, I just think they they have a lot of real estate, uh, you know, on Capitals fans' minds. And, you know, a 7-6 win isn't exactly convincing, but, um, you know, they hung in there. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, think this one, I, I don't even like to say it, but I think this one could even, I might even say this one could get a little ugly. The Washington one could continue the recent trend from a goal differential perspective. I think it'll be. I, like hope, a, I hope I'm wrong, but I could one. see uh, another five or six going up. Yeah, I I think that's been the trend. I, I don't think the Capitals have been necessarily strong defensively. They've had some wins where they're just kind of out early, and they get a four-two win, um, you know, three-one win because they're getting you know some early goals. Uh, the team on the other end has to kind of pick up the pace, loses some chances in the neutral zone, and then they get an empty netter um, here and there, but. I don't think they've necessarily been strong defensively, despite maybe some good goal differentials in their win. Um, yeah. But I think I agree with you. It'll probably be a wild one. Okay. Uh, any closing thoughts for the people? I'm sure we'll have you back on the show at some point in the future, but um, any any big takeaways you want to get out there on the air, um, whether it be for the rest of the season or, or even just thoughts right now that you want to be able to come back and brag about if you were right or anything like that? No, I, I I can't say I have any grandiose thoughts. Uh, I, okay. I just think it'll be interesting to see how it uh how the lineup changes are received by the team. I think that's my yeah. short term. I think that's a huge think piece of where we're at. I think that's where I was at with my Washington projection. I I am the pessimist here in saying I think it goes very poorly for some reason. Um, we could see the exact opposite. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I a think good, this will be I a big, big thing for Sullivan to either hang his hat on or really just have to go back to the well and say, well, I guess that didn't work. You know, let's just go back. He's to the, always seen, to the this, seems a little more, this seems a little more wholesale than, than most of his changes in the past. It feels like when he does push a button um, and make He's a change, it seems to work. It seems to work, at least in the short term. Um, I, I'm tempted to, to hope that that's the case here, but it just seems like a lot of moving parts. So I'm wary. Yep. 
I'll be. I'm, um, I'm ready for them to kind of settle into some some regular line. Um, yeah. get some guys up and running. I think that's Jeff, my, Jeff's so happy. I don't want to call long term prediction, but that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's almost a good thing Jeff's not here to talk about this because I mean, Jeff, we don't have one line that's the same from last week, let alone, you know, the set lines that you want to see. So, um, yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you for coming out. We appreciate you coming on the show. Of course. Um, I think on behalf, on behalf of Ryan, on behalf of Jeff, who couldn't be here tonight, but we'll be back next episode. Uh, and on behalf of myself, thank you, everybody. Have a good week. Thank you.